and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Elizabeth Muller. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. Today, we have a special guest uh, who was involved in the Power and Global Health Day um, event here at Western, Power and, Health, Power and Global Health Day 2020, Julia Albert. Welcome, Julia. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I'm a third year student in SASA, the School for Advanced Studies in the Arts and Humanities. And I'm also doing that with a major in English language and literature, a minor in ethics, and then I'm doing the module in scholars electives. And my research is about COVID-19 and how it's impacting young people this year. Wow, Julia, you have got a lot on your plate. I want to back up before we talk about the important research that you're doing and tell us a little bit about this Power and Global Health Day and your involvement in it. So yeah, Power and Global Health Day, it's an annual event at Western. It's my first time being involved. Through my SASA program, I was directed toward the Global Health Day Committee at Western and applied to become a producer and curator for a series of video capsules wherein we interviewed um, university professors at Western whose research has to do with global health and marginalized populations and unpacking the inequities that have been amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I've been working with the Global Health Day Committee and I was a part of our event today, which went very well. It was, it was a real honor to work with them. So Global Health Day, can you tell me a little bit about what that is overall and how it was maybe different this year because of COVID? Global Health Day at Western is typically a collection of keynote speakers. They try to have some dialogue. There's a poster competition where students submit their posters and there's a winner. Um, the capsules project was kind of an, an addition for this year. And normally it would be in person. It's kind of a full day event on campus, but they adapted pretty well to making it a Zoom event. We had great staff helping us um, with all the technology. We had a great turnout. Like we had a great keynote speaker this morning, uh, Dr. Samuel Wong, a university professor from Hong Kong. And he, um, had, he, he delivered a speech to about 200 people over Zoom. So I was really impressed by the turnout despite it being a virtual event this year. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. So capsules, uh, tell, us, tell us more, you've got me intrigued. Yeah, it was a nice opportunity to understand the research being done at Western because we just think maybe it's only being done in the medical science department, but in, across the boards, um, there was professors at Western uh, d either directly working with the hospitals and the London community and how we're approaching and um, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, but there was also professors dealing with the ethical questions. So um, whether it was the intersection between the violence against women, this invisible pandemic that's always ongoing and how COVID has affected that or the gaps in healthcare of indigenous communities and how that's been magnified during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it was, it was a really great opportunity. And basically I was asked um, with my co-curator Anjali Singh to think of a bunch of questions that young people have on their mind um, ethically and about how to move forward from this pandemic. And then we, we researched as many professors at Western as we could and asked if, we, if they would be willing to be interviewed for our capsules. That's uh, quite impactful nowadays. <laughs> it's on, on everyone's brain is what is going on. <laughs> this is such a weird year for everybody. Um, so um, this information that you're uh, amalgamating into these capsules is certainly valuable. Um, could you maybe tell us, um, you know, you said there was not just the sciences. What, what other... Uh, what other departments, what, what were all the departments that you 
or faculties that you uh, got involved in these capsules? Um, we had professors from the African Institute uh, who could speak to really the global perspective. We had professors from philosophy departments, women's studies departments, um, climate related departments, so like environmental studies. It was a really good, a wide range. And, and it's true, like we don't have these insightful conversations as much as I'd like. Um, I remember when COVID first broke out, I was desperately looking for a thinker or an author that had written about pandemics and understood and knew how I would process all this um, uncertainty and kind of help me move through it. And there was really no one at that time. I mean, you could read The Plague by Camus and like go, go way back, but it was really, really comforting to hear from experts in the field that had an optimistic view and who knew and had learned from working through the SARS pandemic, the H1N1 um, pandemic, AIDS and HIV. So they had some real solid insight and it was, it was very comforting to talk with them. That's really, uh, it's so important. And I think I want to circle back to something you said earlier about the inequities um, and exposing those and highlighting the inequities that, that groups, marginalized communities have experienced during COVID. Um, with the capsule, sort of what is the, what is the goal other than, which is an important goal of exposing uh, really important research, but what other goals are, are uh, in line with, with the capsules that have been collected? Our goal is to have these capsules um, now be used as a tool for community-based discussions, classroom discussions. So um, alongside with the capsules, one of our other committee members, Waleed Raza, he created a series of questions, follow-up questions um, that will lead to uh, dynamic discussions and questions about how we can correct these inequities moving forward. We know this isn't the last pandemic, unfortunately, like there will be more pandemics. So we really hope uh, these capsules serve as a testament to the research being done at Western with global health and uh, to push people to challenge their ways of thinking and to maintain what we've learned from this pandemic. Because unfortunately, what came through in a lot of our interviews was that we had so many great progresses made during the SARS pandemic, like improvement on the IPAC and an improvement on how we can increase PPE access. And then everything was just forgotten when it came to COVID-19. And that's really upsetting to hear. So hopefully something like these capsules can remind people and, and, and we won't forget what we've learned. You just use a word there, IPAC. Can you unpack, unpack IPAC? <laughs> yeah, so IPAC stands for the Infection Prevention and Control within Canada's health system. And it's something that we wanna make sure that um, within our budgets, there should always be the ability to up our IPAC and, and make sure that we can rapidly respond to the next pandemic. That's what really came through in our interviews. Um, it should be something that's always we can turn on on the dime with our Canadian budget. So moving forward, there's needs to be more of an emphasis on this IPAC. You'd mentioned earlier, uh, you know, PPE as like the, the basically masks and the protective stuff that we, we need for, um, you know, pandemics. Um, is that, that what IPAC would be like funding for? IPAC would definitely ensure that PPE needs were met. And uh, we had a great interview with Dr. Kathy Folds who talked about how our healthcare system is kind of made in this cascading effect nowadays. And the people at the bottom of the cascade, the homeless people in shelters, they're the ones that are last to receive the IPAC equipment and the PPE they need. And so she really talked about the need for a horizontally integrated healthcare system where IPAC would be engaged at all levels, all community members, marginalized groups are being dealt with and being cared for. So no one gets left behind. Wow. Uh, so was that, uh, that's an example of one of the video capsules that you made. 
Yes. Uh, could you, uh, were there any other um, particularly informative capsules that you could maybe tell us about? I was really struck by our interview with Dr. Nadine Wathan about uh, this invisible pandemic. Uh, they call it the invisible pandemic, violence against women and children. And it's always there, but it's been amplified by COVID-19 because we don't realize when we say these stay-at-home orders, the one-size-fits-all method, like home is not safe for so many people and so many women. And so we've seen rapid um, and rampant increases in violence against women and the severity of violence against women is also increasing. And then normally to deal with that, we would put more and more women in shelters, but because of social distancing measures needed, we're spreading these women out. We're putting them in hotels around London, which is great, but hotels aren't as safe as shelters and there's not, the security is not as guaranteed. And so their abusers can find them. And there's just like a lack of understanding of where, what safety means. And it's not the same for everyone. Uh, and it doesn't mean home for most people. So that was really eye-opening, and it's actually inspired me to become a volunteer at ANOVA, the women's shelter in London, because I just was so disheartened to hear this news and I wanted to be a part of the solution and not just let it continue. But. You know, that actually uh, reminds me a bit of the, um, I, I don't, not sure if they f fall under the same car um, category as shelters. I think it was maybe hotels. I, I, there's been weird misinformation sent all over the place it's really difficult to to parse the news nowadays for uh, what's real what's in between what's completely fake who knows um but you know you i have heard about and read about um i guess housing that's being av made available for homeless people to prevent them from having to allow them to social distance you know in whatever capacity um it would, did you have anyone speak about that? Do you have any video capsules that, that address that housing issue? Because there's been people referring to it as if it's like camps and like we now have ghettos in, in Canada. It's really, really kind of uh, disrupting. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but could you maybe clarify what those are if anybody spoke about it in one of the capsules? I think it was touched upon, but we never had a capsule dedicated to the homeless community in London or in Canada. And Fortunately, we've been asked to continue making capsules, so I think we will be looking for a professor that can speak directly to that. But even in our interview um, with Dr. Loy Wiley, she spoke about the Indigenous communities in, in Canada and how there's such a, health, a gap in healthcare. And same thing for them, when you say stay at home, many of their homes are overcrowded. And so there's increased rates of COVID in those communities, and it's this double standard. You can't blame them for having that situation. And so she did shed light on that, but I'll, I'll get back to you on a, a professor who can speak to the indigenous, uh, to the homeless community specifically. But it's interesting what you, what you said about uh, this misinformation and everyone's getting information from different sources, conflicting information. Um, it's, it's the infodemic that we're living through. And I think it makes it much more difficult without consistent messaging to have the response we need and to have the solidarity and to have people take the proper healthcare precautions when the messaging isn't consistent. And uh, in Canada, our healthcare system is divided among provinces. It's dealt with provincially. And so even then, like there's different information from different provincial officials, and that makes it hard for Canadians to know what, what needs to happen. And uh, Dr. Wiley, Wiley spoke to this also about um, the Indigenous communities are under federal jur uh, jurisdiction, whereas health is dealt with provincially. So there's another gap where they don't know who's supposed to deal with the Indigenous community. 
Yeah, it's um, gaps is a huge, huge problem and gaps in knowledge, gaps in services. Did did any capsules address the challenges that have been faced by the, the disability community during COVID in terms of lack of PPE, lack of support in the in the home and in the community, um, lack of funding? Again, unfortunately, we don't have a specific capsule for that. I, that's something we need to prioritize and find a professor to speak to um, because that's certainly been in something that hasn't been spoken enough about in mainstream media and uh, must be a priority. Well, uh, you know, and, uh, maybe we don't need to be a complete downer. I think that, uh, you know, looking around the world, I know that we haven't done you know, the, as good as maybe we could have done. Uh, but compared to other countries, maybe we've done better than some. Uh, was you, I think you mentioned that one of the professors spoke about um, an international perspective. How, how do we stand? Uh, how, did, how did we fare compared to other countries? And was that discussed? One of our uh, interviews with uh, Dr. Stranges, he spoke about um, what, what, countries in the West could learn from countries in the East and what Canada could learn from lower income countries um, who have actually done better than us in some ways. And a lot of that comes from like a collectivistic approach and the idea that, oh, if someone in my community is suffering, then no one's been like, we can't, we can't do well if there's, if the marginalized communities aren't being uh, cared for and dealt with. And the idea that we really should judge societies uh, based on how they treat their elderly and how they treat their marginalized communities. Um, so, Canada, North American countries tend to be more individualistically minded. And so that hasn't helped us. That's, that's why we have uh, these debates in the United States about whether you, know, you should have the right not to wear a mask. So in, in certain areas, we could learn a lot from countries um, with lower incomes, countries in the East. Um, so how did you uh, get involved in in this uh, event in, in general? Um, like uh, are video capsules like a specialty of yours? Like uh, what, what was it like to, to do this uh, event? I've, I've worked with uh, CBC in the past, kind of making a, a little um, uh, uh, segment about a, a female national Olympic swimmer, but that was kind of my basis for a um, journalist background. I've been working on this podcast at Western, also the Iconoclast podcast, but it was truly through the SASA program that I heard about this opportunity to make these video capsules. I, I have a minor in ethics and I'm always looking into how to engage um, in complex ethical questions when it comes to these wicked problems in our facing our planet, whether it's climate change, uh, access to health, um, and marginalized communities. And so that was, that was where the impetus came from. And it was just such an honor to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with professors because this year it's, everything's on Zoom. My classes are asynchronous. I really don't feel connected to my studies at all, um, which has been almost depressing. Like I'm usually one that really enjoys uh, dynamic conversations and seminar style classes. So just having that opportunity to have 30 minute conversations, uh, really engaging with uh, these professors was very rewarding. You, yeah, and you know, it's true. This is this is a whole new learning environment for her, all of us. We have to, we're learning and unlearning uh, old ways of doing things. But you mentioned your program a couple times, and I'm wondering, could you share with us a bit about your own research? You talked about ethics, which is a very timely topic with the vaccine and who's going to get it first. And yeah, so uh, 
I'm in the SASA program, but then I'm also in the Scholars Electives module. And last year I did my research about the ethical dimensions of climate action and what kind of messaging gets through to people most. And then this year I was able to shift directions and I'm now focusing on how COVID-19 is affecting young people and our relationship with ourselves, with others and our views on the future. Because I've spoken to many people my age who are thinking, there's no way I'm gonna have children or bring someone else into this world that's so uncertain and anxiety inducing. And uh, you just, there's a very doom filled view of the future right now. And even humor I find is much more nihilistic than usual. And I think younger generations are typically these hopeful, um, this source of hope and optimism for the future. But I think that comes from being among young people and feeding off of each other's energy. And with everything being online and through Zoom, it's hard to capture uh, that excitement and that optimism for the future the same way that we used to. Uh, I think today, like during our Global Health Day event, I felt that for the first time in a while, it was 60 people talking in these, uh, we had breakout groups and students from all different faculties kind of putting our heads together on how we could improve <laughs> the future for next, the next generation. So it was nice to see that today. Um, it's, that's a kind of uh, uplifting news <laughs> that we can get some, we can socialize in a way, uh, if, if not virtual, <laughs> if virtual only, um, at least we can, we can make it by, um, I think uh, it's a testament to how adaptable really <laughs> humans are. We've, we are definitely one of the most adaptable um, species on the planet. Um, and it's nice to hear that we've have a way of socializing and that this, this event was highlighting how successful we can be. Um, can you maybe dig a little bit deeper onto what your scholars elective, if I'm saying that right, um, research is about? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of inspired by the idea of Boccaccio's Decameron, and that's that was written during the Black Plague pandemic, and um, a bunch of young people went out into the wilderness to escape and avoid getting sick, and they wrote a bunch of stories. So I thought, I want to write, I want to capture what the COVID pandemic has been like as a young person and how it's how it's felt. So I'm kind of writing uh, a series of personal essays and, and blog posts about and I'm trying to interview friends and people I know in different programs on how they're processing this experience and how they're staying hopeful um, and <laughs> trying to figure out how to have a social life, whether it's virtual or whether it's really through distanced activities. But I think people are getting tired and then you look at the statistics and I mean, we're not done yet. So I'm trying to find ways that people can have self-care and find optimism during this time through my research. I'm really interested in this idea of uh, lived experience and, and short stories, personal essays. So in terms of the interviews that you're doing, would these be with people from different communities that have maybe experienced COVID differently or would these be other students or tell us more about that. So far I've been trying to interview students and friends um, that I know from different programs but I'd like to reach out to different community members as well that would be a really good perspective. I'm working with uh, my supervisor is Dr. Tracy Isaacs and she's the Dean of the Arts and Humanities and she's an expert in creative writing so I'm, I'm really focusing on how to make a powerful personal narrative. And um, that's been one of the benefits of working with her. 
It sounds like you're doing certainly a good job and you're managing to get involved in all sorts of things that are going to, you know, uh, give you good experience that you can utilize for your project, your research and work going forward. So could you maybe tell us what do you think uh, undergrads are thinking for going forward? You mentioned that there are a bit, there's a bit of um, pessimism, like eh, I'm not thinking the future is so bright, but uh, how, how do you feel people... I guess, undergraduate students uh, are thinking in terms of next steps now that they're in this sort of weird situation, uh, just, just in terms of academics. Oh, in terms of academics, I know people are quite, especially uh, my, little my younger brother's in first year university right now, and I've spoken with a lot of first year university students who are very uh, disheartened by what university has now it looks like because everything's virtually being taught and I just I'm trying to express to him like this is not university this isn't what it will be going forward and once the world recovers um, because it just is hard to feel passionate about the materials you're learning through a screen the same way you used to when you, after class you're just talking with your peers about what you just learned and it's just such a an exciting process usually I think um, people will want to take gap years next year even next semester people are talking about like taking a break because zoom school is just not doing it for them but uh, people are also becoming aware, young people are being becoming aware of um, all these systemic issues that have been going on for so long, whether it's to do with the climate um, or the treatment of marginalized communities and they're getting fed up and, and people are ready to take action and make a change. We saw that with the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. And I think that will continue and gain momentum once we can meet in person again. And I was just listening to an interview um, with Nicholas Christakis and he was talking about, you know, we we risk spreading germs to spread ideas. Like we love being together. We love gathering as human beings and that's how we generate our best ideas. So as soon as we can, I know we will. And he described maybe that in, in 2024 will be kind of this roaring twenties experience and people will rally in large groups again to see the change they want to have happen. I just worry that 2024 is a bit late. Like I know that climate mm -hmm. crisis is on the mind of a lot of young people and we need action now, not 2024. So yeah, wouldn't that be great to have Roaring Twenties 2.0? <laughs> um, 20, 2020, Roaring Twenties, yeah. yeah. Um, so if people are thinking, oh, okay, I don't know if my plans are going to be particularly um, firm considering, you know, the climate crisis and now health and everything going on, uh, what are your plans <laughs> post-undergrad? Uh, you said you're third year, so certainly closer than the people just starting this year for first year. True. I've, I've thought about it, and I've, I've thought about whether I'm doing enough by just being in university when there's so many pressing matters that need to be dealt with right now. I try to get involved as, in as many clubs as I can to keep that part of my life active. Um, but I think being in school is, is a good way to make a difference later, later on in life. And I took a course... Um, on the philosophy of law this summer. It was a Zoom course, my first Zoom course. And there was a chapter we did about feminist jurisprudence and how, how laws are created and who decides and what makes a law a law. And I was just very excited about the content in this course. So now I'm thinking I would love to go to law school and then perhaps become a professor of the philosophy of law one day and with a feminist lens. That would be kind of my dream job right now. But any way to make a difference and be working with young, open-minded people, that's something that I, I, I look for in a future career option. 
you sound uh, quite passionate about many, you know, I guess, globally relevant um, issues, uh, you know, be it social, environmental, many, many issues you seem to touch on <laughs> and are knowledgeable about. Um, would you consider yourself like a, as an activist? Uh, is that a common thing among undergrads nowadays that they they shadow as activists too? I don't know if you consider yourself one. I do. I, I would like to consider myself an activist. I worry I'm not doing enough, um, especially during these days of COVID. But I, I also am interested in advocacy as well. And I'm um, taking a course right now on campaigns and the power of persuasion and public opinion. Um, and I think young people, I'm from BC, I'm from just outside of Vancouver. And I, I notice, especially around the topic of climate crisis, there seems to be less of an urgency and less of a need to like take immediate action when I speak with students, just the general population of like Western students. And I don't know if it has to do with location and proximity to nature or whether everyone's just very busy. And I mean, university undergrad is a busy time, but I worry that like most movements in the past have happened in this prime age in the 20, early 20s and the 20s, like this is when we are fired up and this is when we go make a difference and rally together as students. And I know it's tough with things being virtual, but I hope we find that passion and, and figure out how to collaborate effectively to make the change we wanna see happen sooner rather than later. That sounds like you're uh, um, in the, going in the right direction. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say um, what you pointed to as well in terms of like, you found some of the other undergrads here at Western don't, don't really see this as urgent a matter uh, as you do. Um, and you pointed out that you're from BC. I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm from Vancouver myself, moved here for my PhD. Um, and I'd say that it could be also a province to province thing. I, mean, I know that our province is, this country is really big <laughs> and people really, really differ. And you notice that when you cross the country to do school, uh, you notice that uh, not all Can all Canadians are the same. So, um, yeah, do you think that maybe that uh, is um, an important factor? I, I also, I mean, maybe tying it back to global health. Yeah. Did anyone speak about differences in in, in across the country? Um. There definitely are differences, but I think if we can look to the core values and find the, the values that we share, that would be a real key to rallying people around the same causes. Um, we did, we had a capsule with uh, Dr. Popelka about the collectivistic action needed for dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and how that relates to climate action. So there was definitely an interview that touched on that. But I just think if we if we do understand that a healthy environment is what we need to live healthy lives and what's good for the planet is what's good for us, then I don't understand how it could possibly be a political issue or a divisive issue. Um, I think we all recognize the need to sustain the planet we live on um, to live meaningful and full lives. Yeah, you've mentioned um, that this could be this kind of wake up. People are on Zoom, they're seeing all the injustices in the world uh, exposed by COVID, but those injustices have been present for a long time. Why do you think that is, that now all of a sudden people are kind of starting to wake up a bit? I think we're finally kind of realizing the impact of uh, pushing aside all these issues for so long. And now that we're all in these isolated bubbles and we're 
not living the lives we're used to living we're like oh how do we avoid having this happen again because this is not the quality of life we all hoped for um that was definitely a wake-up call for me and the same thing kind of happened a similar effect when we had the forest fires um in, B in bc uh, a few years ago and then they happened again this year and you just kind of can't leave your house and you feel sick when you walk outside and those moments of having the realization of oh it's not actually like these concerns and these worries we're having for way down the line it's, it's happening now so why don't we take action now too um to avoid this dire future i think we all want to live um lives in a beautiful planet that our parents grew up in and and have the same thing for future generations so uh, we're just wrapping about, we're just almost wrapping up here, almost at time. Um, I know you mentioned briefly that you're involved in a podcast. Um, maybe uh, if you have any personal social media or the, or your podcast, you want to tell people where they can follow up with you? Sure. I mean, I work to host, I'm one of the hosts for the Iconoclast podcast. And that's, uh, it, it pairs with the Iconoclast magazine, which is Western's Arts and Culture Collective. So there's, um, you can find us on all medias and uh, we're on the podcast app as well. So just look for Iconoclast um, podcast. How do you spell Iconoclast? It's I-C-O-N-O-C-L-A-S-T. Okay, I'll send people there and we'll put a link in the synopsis as well. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank so you. wonderful to meet you and best of luck with your plans. Thanks so much. You, you, you have a great rest of your day too. And I, I hope that you have great interviews ahead. Thank you. This has been Bradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame. My co-host today was Elizabeth Moeller. We've been speaking with Julia Albert about the Power and Global Health Day event here at Western 2020. Um, if you'd like to be involved in the show, get in contact with us, uh, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Gradcast Radio. You can listen to us on the radio at Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all our episodes archived at gradcast.ca and podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Um, alternatively, we have some of our select episodes uh, in video format on YouTube at Gradcast Radio, and those are kind of special too, so find us there. Thank you everybody for listening, and have a